Praise the Lord. You are free to shout, praise the Lord. We are Pentecostal, so that helps us. But we are children of God. We are those who are saved, blood-washed, Bible-believing, faith-filled, future hope-satisfying. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. So it's good to see you this morning again. And what a delightful service it's been already. I trust that my coming up onto the pulpit is not going to ruin that for you. That's why we're going to pray. Saviour, if of Zion's city I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures none but Zion's children know. Help us this morning as we come around your word. Holy Spirit, take this word and use it for the glory of Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. That's a great old hymn. Glorious things of thee are spoken. And what a delight to start with singing about the name of Jesus this morning. I was warm straight away. I feel it so very much at home, and thank you for that. Why does Ian remind me of Cliff Richard? <laughs> when he came up here and he said, we're going to start singing, I thought, we're going to start singing, I'm going on a summer holiday or something like that. But, and then with, with Scylla Black as well, I mean, uh, she probably doesn't know who Scylla Black is, but never mind, I do. Uh, you've got a wonderful worship team here, but that was really great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to talk to you this morning a little bit uh, from a favourite chapter of mine. I trust that it's a favourite chapter of yours. Um, uh, over the last number of months, like I said to you last night, um, it's the comfort of God's word that has actually kept me going um, throughout the pandemic and through all the changes in life. And when you get to my age, <laughs> you experience a lot of them. I dare say one or two of you may say an amen to that. A lot of changes. The world is a very different place today to what it was when I was a very young person like Siller over here. <laughs> And, uh, but God has got something to say to us, and, and God has certainly blessed me this morning, over these last couple of weeks, months really, with, with those favourite scriptures of mine, and I trust that this will be a favourite scripture of yours too. Um, so it's found in, in the book of Romans, so you may want to turn to Romans, and we're going to look at some verses in chapter 8 chapter 8. While you're looking for it, Romans chapter 8. Someone said that the book of Romans, the letter of Paul to Romans, is like the, the Alps of the New Testament. And when you get to chapter 8, that chapter itself is like the young Frau. It's the one that stands above all the rest in its height and glory and beauty. My dad would actually argue with that because he loved Ephesians. And I dare say many of you do, including myself. Well, I, love, I love the whole of the Bible, of course. But Ephesians is, is an outstanding letter of revelation and, and divine instruction. But Romans is too, from a different point of view. And chapter 8 is 
particularly a wonderful high peak of revelation for every Christian, for you and for me. And so I want to draw some simple thoughts from it this morning. And I trust, I think that we're in a day that we all need to be encouraged to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's all too easy to be get to get taken up with other things and situations and circumstances that happen to us. Very easy to do that. But to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and remember who we really are. And it's all found in, in this chapter. So, I, I don't know, if you in your chapter, you, you may find that chapter 7 is before chapter 8. It is in mine anyway. In fact, chapter 6 is there too. And in chapter 6, Paul is, is, is re revealing some, some great truth about the fact that we are dead to sin but alive to God. He talks about the significance of water baptism and what it means to go down into the water and then to come up out of the water. And uh, if you've not been baptized in water, I, I, I found out yesterday there's no baptistry under here. I thought there was. I thought somewhere. I, I, I could see the seam in the carpet here. I realized there isn't one there. But anyway, um, I thought there was a baptismal tank somewhere in the church. But you can actually hire them or borrow another church that has a tank. Or find the nearest river. A little bit cold and to pray for healing afterwards from double pneumonia. But anyway. Um, but water baptism is essential. Because it's a, a symbolic act of, of what Paul is talking about there in, in chapter 6. Being dead to sin and being buried with Christ. And then when you come up out of the water, it's, it's like you know coming to new life in Christ and that's it's a wonderful picture and he talks a lot about that and and then he comes into chapter 7 and you you sort of um you begin, okay, by, by reading verses, you know, uh, the fact that we are now free from the law. Now that we're under grace, we don't have to fulfill the law. And uh, the legalists amongst us will find this chapter uh, quite a, a delight, I'm sure. Because we are now no longer expected to be accepted by God through trying to obey the law. Thank God for that. Uh, you know, other, other parts of the Bible talk about how people were coming in and telling them they needed to be circumcised and they needed to become like the Jews so that they would be accepted by God and Paul in Galatians especially talks about the fact that we are free from all that and, and, and don't listen to that kind of stuff it's Jesus and Jesus only you put your faith in him if you're going to obey the law and you want to go down that road then you've got to obey the whole law if you circumcision and everything else and I can't remember how many laws there are in the Old Testament you've got to obey every one of them and the moment you break one that's you finished you've broken the law that's why we need Jesus and, and so you, you read this in chapter 7 uh, and then of course he comes to the reality of law and sin in our own lives and you, you get him talking and you, you sort of the clouds start to gather don't they when you read words like the good that I would that's what I don't do and the things that I really don't want to do those are the things I do oh wretched man that I am he finishes off chapter 7 oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death and he finishes off with that great verse 
at the end thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and then he plunges right into chapter 8 he's reaching the top pinnacle of this wonderful revelation of what it means to be a Christian there is therefore now what a way to start the chapter there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus wonderful I don't know how you could I, I you know I know it's Sunday and you're in your Sunday best but you know if I was sitting on my chair and somebody was reading that this morning I, I'd be wanting to jump up and even with a, a bad hip you know I'd be wanting to do a few somersaults up and down the aisle and, and yeah, because, because these are the realities you see we read these things over and over again and they be familiarity breeds contempt familiarity becomes uh, something that we can get bored with because we are familiar with it and it, it enters one side of your head and it goes straight out the other side of your head and has no effect until you begin to meditate until you begin to ponder on the word of God there is therefore now so therefore is therefore a reason all that he has said about the reality of Jesus and Jesus only because you're in Christ there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in him you will not ever if you're in Jesus face God as you a judge I think that's wonderful I think that's absolutely marvelous thank you Lord that you've taken my sin and the power of my sin has been broken I don't have to sin I do because I give into it like you I dare say as well but we don't have to the power of sin is broken the penalty of sin has been taken by Jesus himself we've been given the gift of his righteousness and when God looks at you on Sunday the 26th of September 2022 sitting in this little church building this morning he sees you in Jesus and he does not see you as a sinner you know I, I like the phrase you know we are sinners and we, we are saved by grace that is true true that's what we all are we are sinners saved by grace but dear brothers and sisters we are saints that's what the apostle calls us in the new testament saints he, he, he acknowledges that we are sinners saved by grace but onward moving forward in him we are seen and called saints you're a saint this morning you haven't got a, mar a statue somewhere hanging in some um, wonderful um, edifice of, of religious entertainment but you are you are here this morning as a child of God and a saint yeah. you haven't died yet and you're a saint praise the Lord hallelujah anyway so that's verse 1 and, and he goes on it's a great chapter this in, in verse 12 you're heirs we are heirs with Christ and then he, in, in, in the next section starting at verse 18 he talks about our future glory and this is what I really want to talk about this morning our future glory there is coming a day when this creation in fact he says it here in verse 22 we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies what's he talking about he's talking about the second coming of Jesus he's talking about when creation itself is groaning under the weight of sin and the curse that has been placed upon it like upon us as well we too are looking for that glorious day of disappearing when we shall be free from the very presence of sin 
And that's the glorious hope of the gospel. Penalty of sin has been taken, the power of sin has been broken, and we will be taken from the very presence of sin, and we will be in glory. And then he comes to these, were well, their favourite verses of mine. I wonder if they are to you. Verse 28. And we know that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose by the way I'm reading from the ESV I know in many churches there are a variety of versions of the scripture and uh, I find that the ESV is the best for me it's the one that speaks to me Oh, there we go then. There's one or two that may be agreeing, others might not. But NIV. You, but NIV. NIV. Oh, right. Okay. Well, God bless you, dear brother. <laughs> <laughs> no. Never version. All right. Okay. Um, but but so but whatever version you're reading, it, it's coming up with the same thing. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined. I've got to go on. For those, he, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We have to go on. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? Indeed, that is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What incredible words and what incredible truth. Now to help me, I break things down into little chunks and I hope it'll help you. Some preachers like to just talk. Other preachers like to take some points to keep them focused on the, on the, the main point of the text. Uh, and I'm one of those and I take it bit by bit so that I can digest it and I find it much easier like that. So I'm afraid you're up for a few peas in, in, this, um, in verse 28. So you're having a little bit of dinner early, okay? Your roast beef and Yorkshire is safe in the oven and that onion gravy, it can be warmed up nicely. It won't burn and you'll be ready for it at lunchtime. So we're not going to be too long this morning. But I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but verse 28 and then verses 29 and 30 and then 31 down to 39 are all groups of fives. Have you noticed? 
all groups of five. There are five things in each of those sections. And I don't know if you know what number five is biblically. Now, I think we all know what seven is. What does seven speak of? Perfection. Yes, seven is, is the number of perfection. So what is number five? Anybody know? It's a grace. You were outstanding this morning. You've got a real good touch with the children. I really enjoyed that this morning. In fact, I wish I would. You could be doing a little more of that than me sitting down and listening, to be honest. But there we go. That was great. Thank you. But yeah, you're right. It's grace. Grace. And, and you'll find five things in each of these sections. Verse 28, there are five things. We're not going to deal with them all. It's okay. I'm only going to mention them. So have no fear. That's why your onion gravy is going to be there for you. And then 29 and 30, there are five things. And then there are five again in the last section. So let's have a quick look at them. The, the five P's in verse 28 are these. Perspective. Listen, dear brother, dear sister, this is the apostle's perspective and he says I want this to be your perspective notice how he says it and we know let's pause there because that's his perspective that's his perspective based on biblical truth he didn't say I suppose this is I hope this is true uh, my opinion is this he says, as a child of God, who knows the power of sin, but the forgiveness of Jesus, and we know. That's a very important perspective. Do you know? Are you sure? Are you building your life on that solid foundation of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? Because that's what it's based on. And we know says the Apostle Paul. There's, there's no room for supposition. There's no room for self-opinion. It is an absolute truth that he banks upon. He can take it to the bank. He can, he can build his life upon it. It is a solid rock upon which to build his life. And we know. The second P is that of people. Who are the people that know? Well, he says it there very clearly. And we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Is that you? If that's you, you, you are one of those people. Thank God for the truth of God's word. That's the second P. And then the third P for me is the propagator of all this. Who is the propagator of all this? Well, he says, and we know that for those who love God. He's the propagator of it. It began with him and it will end with him. He began the work and he will end the work. That's why the, the writer to the Hebrews says, let us look to Jesus, the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. What he has begun, he will complete. That's how God is. I, I, well, I was going to say there are some people who never finish a job. They go right up to 98% and then the 2% is left for the next five years. And I, we had a bill, anyway, I I won't go into that and waste time but uh, I know people that you know they, they do a marvelous job but they don't actually finish the job and it drives me mad I, I don't know about you but I, it does drive me mad but 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 God is not like that Jesus is not like that when Jesus said it is finished there was nothing left to do do what you like it makes no difference he has done the work he has finished it completely the work of redemption is now complete as far as God is concerned and as 
far as Jesus is concerned and as far as I'm concerned too and I praise him for that and that's, that's how it is so the propagated is God and his provision that's the fourth P in verse 28 the provision there look at it and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good there's the provision and notice it's all things work together for good not some things some things may work a bit more than others for good you know we could keep going here couldn't we and sort of add a few suppositions in there but he doesn't say that he says all things the things that we would consider we wouldn't want that we don't like so bad things may be that come across our paths somewhere in those bad things God is at work nothing will come across your path or my path that God does not allow and secondly nothing will come across my path or your path that God does not allow and that he will not use he uses every single thing so when those bills are going up when the calamities come when the children let us down when answers to prayer don't seem to happen in the time frame that we expect them to you know the list is endless we must and can trust God in all these things he that's what the word of God says it's not me telling you that he said it and that's enough for me he says in all these things he works together for good that's his provision God provides for his people surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever the psalmist said that and he'd been through some stuff the apostle Paul himself had been through terrible situations but he was saying this is what I know with all the calamities that have come in my come my way I know that those for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and that introduces us to the fifth P in that verse this five of grace the, the purpose of God there is a purpose in everything God does not deviate from his eternal purpose now I sometimes you know I've probably said it myself many a time you know Lord fulfill your eternal purposes but God doesn't actually have purposes the Bible says his purpose is eternal it is one he hasn't got any other plans up his sleeve his purpose is absolute and it is focused and no one can turn him from it it is infallible nobody can twist his arm nobody can suggest some other way God's purpose will be fulfilled and whether it's a universal purpose and it is an eternal purpose or whether it's a personal his personal purpose in my life I am convinced like the Apostle Paul that this involves and it's easy to say from a pulpit in, in a congregation of Christians who I dare say most of us are feeling not so bad this morning and we're stressed in Sunday best and things aren't too bad and we you can sniff that onion gravy and you know all that stuff I mean thank God for all the good things in life it isn't always like that and that's what makes this scripture is so real that that he is the provider and he is the he he works all things after the after his or according to his 
purpose, his eternal purpose. So that's the five there. But then he goes into 29 and 30 and you'll find another five. We're not going to spend so long in those. But look, what, look at the five he mentions here. For those he foreknew, so that's the first one, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his sons. Let's pause there for a moment. For those he foreknew. Okay, so he saw us long before we were born. The psalmist says that. Read Psalm 139. He was the one who formed us. He knew us. Our, our, our lives were written in his book before yet there was one of them. He saw us. He foreknew us. And those who come to him, they are predestined not to be saved, but predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's the, the will of God for every Christian. That's why we are still here on earth, by the way. Did you know that? We'll be touching on that a little later on. That's what sanctification is all about. That's why we are here. He is, he is doing his work to make each one of us individually like his son, Jesus. <coughs> we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, that's a very simple, uh, it's, a, it's a profound statement, but it's one that fills my heart with the simple thought that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to feel out of place. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what you feel like, but uh, you know, when you get to heaven, then you've got all these glorious angels, cherubims and seraphs and the beautiful angels and then I walk in <laughs> and that could spoil the day couldn't it you know uh, but then I look through the crowd and then I see him sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high one just like me yeah. we used to sing a song years ago there's a man up in the glory and he lives for me and his presence with the blood is my security. Interceding for his loved ones. Wondrous grace and sympathy. There's a man up in the glory. Uh, he, uh, the man who died on Calvary. There's a man up in the glory and he lives for me. That, I don't know what it does for you, but oh, it thrills my heart. So that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to feel out of place. What is this chap doing up here? Well, it's because of Jesus. Hallelujah. We are being conformed into his image. Lord, do your work. Oh my, that's a prayer to ask. Do your own work. Conform me into the image of Jesus. What am I asking there? I don't know. All I know is this, that he's my father and he's not going to allow anything to happen that's going to destroy me. Hallelujah. Don't you love him this morning? Oh, I just feel it is, even as I, you know, I'm blessing myself this morning. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Anyway, I, I hope I don't nod off to sleep from here. Anyway, where are we? <clears throat> Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's two. Then those he predestined, he also called. Thank God for his call in our lives. I, I love the scripture that was read right at the beginning, reminding us that, that every one of us is, is a member of the body of Christ. Who do you think is the most important person here today? We know Jesus is. I, I, that's the answer. Every time we ask a question in church, it's all about Jesus. We know Jesus is the most important one, of course. But, but who's the most important one here in this little body of Christ here, this part of his global church? Who's the most important person? We're all equal, are we? Do you really think that? You're right. 
But I, yeah, absolutely, you see, the pastor's not the most important person. The visiting speaker isn't the important person. The, the oldest Christian here isn't the most important person. Thank God for every one of us. But you, you understand what I'm saying? You are. So what are you contributing to the body of Christ? You are a member of the body of Christ. Now, there are many churches that have what, I, what some people call pew fillers. Uh, people that just come to church, they sing a few songs, they might even pray, and they be nice to people and give a nice handshake, and, and, and off they go, and you won't see them until next Sunday, and, and they don't even think about the church until next Sunday. But this is the field in which God has brought you. And this field needs a bit of work. And someone, that's the leadership of the church, will say, well, this is what we need to do. This is the way we have to do it. And, and let's get on with it, brothers and sisters. It's not up to one person. It's not one person in the congregation. It's everybody working together. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. Everybody involved. So, so when you're asked to do something, I'm sure that, like me, you'll say, oh dear, I don't really feel that that's me, but hey, I'm going to give it a go. And you'll discover that God will bless you out of your socks when you attempt to do something for him. He loves us to serve him to that end. That's why the, the, um, the uh, psalmist says, serve the Lord with gladness come before his presence with singing but I don't like cleaning toilets I mean I don't know if anybody else here actually appreciates the 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 glorious privilege of popping into the gents and having to wipe the bowl you understand what I'm talking about here well who's going to do it somebody's going to do it and and it's a, that is as much a ministry in the body of Christ as standing up here with your open Bible and somebody preaching it's just as important it's an equal part of bringing the function of this part of the body of Christ together I don't know why I've gone on about that but there we go I, it, it was just one of those things those who are called that's the third one those he called he are also justified so you know what justification is of course I've already mentioned it he looks upon us as though we'd never sinned before and, and that's a wonderful thing praise the Lord my sin nor the bliss of this glorious thought says Horatius Spafford my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it's a forensic term it, we are justified God sees us now as clean through the precious blood of his son. There are times when I don't feel that. But I do believe it because that's how God sees me. That's what his word says, justified. But that's the fourth. But then the fifth thing in grace is, and he says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you know that you standing in glory is the finished product? It's a wonderful thing, that. Uh, but God sees it as complete. That's, that's what the Apostle is saying here. He sees that as part of the work of grace. It began with, with what he foreknew, and it ends up with us standing in glory and worshipping him. That's that day that is yet to come. That's a wonderful thing. But what's the one thing that's missing? Between justification and glorification, 
or these are theological words, being made right with God and eventually ending up in, like we talked last night, you know, we will be in heaven with him. He's gone to prepare a place for us. What's the one thing that's missing from that? Sanctification. This man, he's at top of the class. Ten out of ten for, for the answers that you've given me this morning. Sanctification. What's sanctification? Well, that's the work that the apostle's been talking about in Romans chapter 7. And, and he's coming to chapter 8 to remind us that this work of sanctification is all to one end, that we shall be glorified with him. God sees it as complete. But while we are down here, we are being sanctified. What's that mean? Well, that's the process of being made or being conformed into the image of Jesus. So you're sitting beside that, well, you're sitting beside your wife and, and your husband and you're sitting beside your friend. But, but it could be that you're sitting beside somebody who really gets on your nerves. They sing too loud. He preaches too long. Are you one of those people? The glass is always half empty. It's, it's never half full, you know. You always see the negative and it's always, oh. I, I, you don't want to spend too long in the presence of someone who's, who's a bit like that because you'll go away with your shoulders stooping. You want to be a, a, alongside somebody who sees the glass and not half empty, but half full, praise God. We'd like the other half too, but, you know, it's half full at least. I mean, that's a little more positive than being half empty. You, you understand what I mean? Why am I talking about that? Sanctification. So you're sitting beside that person that really rubs you up the wrong way. You're really, and you're, you know, you'd rather be, rather them in the Baptist church down the road. You're not sitting in here, you know. But you see, God has a wonderful way of planting people. This is my, my, my belief. He plants people so that that person that rubs you up the wrong way is actually not negative but a positive. God is using a little bit of sandpaper on you because you are rubbing shoulders with that person that, that you don't really want to rub shoulders with and, 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 it, and it's just taking you, taking you into making you into the image of, 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 uh, of God's son of the Lord Jesus Christ that he talks about here to be conformed to the image of his son uh, it's a bit like the sculptor the sculptor looks at the model and he's chiseling away at the piece of rock but he's always looking at that at that model because eventually this piece of rock is going to look exactly like that model that's what the sculptor does and that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is in sanctification he's chipping away at you dear, that little bit of anger that bad temper that negative spirit that no I don't want to get involved and, and he's sanding it away and chiseling it away but all the time the Holy Spirit is taking the things of Jesus and revealing them to us he's, he's seeing the image of Jesus in you and he's molding you and shaping you it's a wonderful you know, I feel so privileged to be a Christian. I really do. I've learned over the years. I mean, I, you know, I've been a pastor for hundreds of years now, it feels like. And, uh, and I, I've seen people in congregations that I do wish would go down to the Baptist church, you know. <laughs> but they stick around and praise God for that. I, I love every one of them. You understand what I mean, don't you? I'm sure you do. Because they are there for a reason. And, and God is doing a work in me. And thank God one of these days is going to be complete. I'll probably be about 382 by the time I die, <laughs> by the time he finishes the work. But, but anyway, there you go. So there's the other five. Very quickly, what have I got? I've got 14 minutes left. 
Are, you, are, are we okay for that, Pastor? Uh, no, you're being polite. I know it's Sunday. Are we okay? Okay. So very quickly then, those the next five are in this next section, and I'm really going to deal with them very quickly so that we go through them. But I don't want you to miss it because I want you to be encouraged, dear brothers and sisters. In this day and age in which we live, this is why I changed my track uh, when when thinking about ministry. I just felt, Lord, you've been encouraging me over these past months. I just want to encourage you, people here. Some of us are long in the tooth, Pentecostal believers. Some of us have been coming to church for donkey's years and some of us know the end from the beginning as far as Pentecostal history and all that stuff we know it all but sometimes we can drift away from that personal relationship with God and we depend on what was and what we know and, and other things and we lose that sense of, of being in the presence of Jesus and it's that that I long to see in the hearts of true believers because that's what matters at the end of the day and whether we meet in a little tin shack or whether we meet in a cathedral either way I've been in both and met God in both and I've been in a lovely building like this with plush chairs and I think yep it's, it's, that's great and that's good but if Jesus isn't here Mark chapter 2 and verse 2 says anybody tell me what that story is about Mark chapter 2 come on you know your Bibles it's the story of the man being lowered down from the roof, down in the front of Jesus. There were so many people that they had to go up on the roof. But the one phrase that really stabs at my heart is this one. It was noised that he was in the house. That's all that matters. Take away the chairs, we can sit on the floor, or we can stand. Either way, it really doesn't matter. Is Jesus in the house? Is Jesus in the house? It doesn't matter whether it's a tin shack or a cathedral. Is Jesus in the house? If Jesus is in the house, nothing else matters because he's going to do his own work. Well, here are the five, the next group of five. Five questions, that's all. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the first question. I think we need to say this to ourselves every morning when we wake up. <coughs> God is for us who can be against us God's on I, I know it's it's a bit of a I, I, I don't like saying it but but God's on our side we are on his side but because of that he's on our side uh, that's perhaps the best way to put it God's on your side he's with you he's not against you he is for you God is for you so if God is for you who can be against you? And he'll outline some of those things a bit later on. And then he talks about he who did not spare his own son, but delivers him up for us all. What a wonderful verse that is. You know, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I read an illustration the other day, and I must give it to you. Suppose, uh, have we got time for this? It's, what time do we finish? We started at half past ten, so we should finish about twelve. Is that about right? Great. Oh, it says 10 minutes and 36 seconds I've got left on here. So this, this story that illustrates this point, okay? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here's the illustration. Suppose you as a man come upon a child being beaten by thugs. 
So you're walking down the street and there's a youngster and thugs are bashing him and kicking him. You will dash into, if you're a, a real man, you'll dash into the mob and you'll rescue the little boy. Then you'll carry him to the hospital and that man will pay for the little boy's treatment and eventually the little boy is nursed back to health. But then the man learns that that little lad who was being beaten by thugs is an orphan. So he thinks, well, I'll adopt him as my own. And so he gives the boy his name and takes him into his home. And then one night, months later, the father hears the little boy sobbing into his pillow one evening. So he goes immediately and asks, what are you crying about? Oh, I'm so worried, Daddy, about tomorrow. What if I have no food to eat? Will I have clothes to wear to keep me warm? What's going to happen to me? Will there be, will, will, will there be somebody to look after me? And, and where will I sleep? And The father would be heartbroken and troubled. Haven't I shown you enough how much I love you? Don't you understand? I risked my life for you. I paid my money to treat you. I adopted you. I gave you my name. I've called you my son. Would I do all that and then not meet all your needs? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying, how God talks to us. That's what that verse means. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a beautiful, beautiful text. Take it with you this morning, because that's how your father sees you. That's how he understands you. That's how he knows you. That's how he cares for you. It's a wonderful thing, that. Praise God. No wonder Paul takes it up in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything. Oh, I wish we had time to expand that. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. I've got members of my family, my close family, that are not Christian yet. And there is a sense in which I'm anxious. Because when the Lord comes, my understanding of Scripture is that the day of grace will finish then. And, and so that creates a bit of an anxiety. But then I read this text and I think, no, I'm not going to subject myself to anxiety. I'm not going to allow that. Because that's what the scripture says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God didn't just save us only to leave us fret and worry and become anxious about things. Would he be nailed to the cross for our sins and then ignore us and drop us? Of course not. And that's the emphasis that the apostle is putting on here. So this is the second of the five. Then the third one is, who will bring any charge to God's elect? I mean, what a glorious question that is. Who is going to do that? It is God who justifies. What does it matter what other people say? It just doesn't matter. They'll rake up the past. Some... I, 
he said um, some women have got far better memories than we men, you know. I don't know whether you know that. I'm sure you do, actually. Uh, my wife, she's my memory. Thank God. I thank God for her because if, if she wasn't here, I don't know where I'd be. I'm <laughs> Anyway, um, and uh, you know, she, um, people say, well, did you, have you ever been to so-and-so place? And, and I say, no, 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 I've never been. Yes, you have, she'll say. And then she'll, she'll reel out stuff like, you know, that was that, remember that restaurant you went in and, and you had, and you ordered, and she'll go into all the detail about it. I can't even remember being in the place, <laughs> but she'll remember every detail of what happened at the time. It's a funny old thing, that. And you know, the devil's got a good memory too, I want to tell you. He'll dig up the past, things that you would have forgotten about, and put under the blood. He'll suddenly raise them and say, remember that? And out of the blue it comes and you, oh my, God's not going to listen to me today. Oh my, I can't go, I can't pray today. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 says God. Listen, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies at the end of the day. God's not going to listen to the devil or anybody else. He says, as far as I'm concerned, it's a clean sheet. The sins are gone behind my back, never to be remembered against us anymore. Fourth question, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us and then the fifth question who shall separate us from the love of Christ and then there's this whole long list of stuff which we haven't really got time to go into this morning my dear brothers and sisters these glorious truths tell me that God has got your life covered completely from beginning to end come what may in this world Come what may in my personal circumstances, he has got it completely and utterly covered. Everything that happens to you as a child of God, he uses for his eternal praise and glory. I trust you're encouraged this morning. I love that chapter. God is working it out. He has the final say in it all and to him be the glory and the praise and the honour. Are you carrying an anxiety? Is this something that's really bothering you? Maybe during the singing of the last song. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Give it to him. Call upon his name and see what he will do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the patience of these people to listen to me. And out of the multitude of my words, may your word leave a lasting, deep impression that when we are tempted to become anxious and to worry and to try and work things out for ourselves, we will hand it all over to you and let that peace that passes understanding flood our hearts and garrison our minds so that we can go through life knowing that you are in complete control, that you will answer prayer according to your will. Help us as your people for your namesake and for your glory. Amen. Amen.